Hello, saver. Whether you're saving for that trip to the tropics or saving for an emergency, now is the time to take advantage of Wells Fargo's savings options. Wells Fargo offers savings accounts that can help you save towards your goals. So, what are you saving for? Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash save to open a savings account today. Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is the show for you if you're bored of people arguing on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be the experts, we ask the experts. So what can you tell us about the impact of the differences between men and women uh, on things like the real world stuff, like the gender pay gap, for example? Uh, so... Uh, this wasn't. This talk wasn't recorded. I probably should record it at some point. But I gave a talk for the Adam Smith Institute back in December, mm. and I talked a little bit about where this kind of wage gap comes from. And I hope I get all the details of the study right. But they were looking at people who started, scored very high on quantitative measures like the SAT, men and women who scored very very high. And they were looking at this kind of elite intellectual group. And they asked the men and the women in this group, um, how many hours a week would you work optimally if you were you know, if you had your druthers, which I don't know what druthers are, but they are a thing that you can have. <laughs> and so if you had your druthers, how much, you know, how many hours a week would you work? And I think um, far fewer women, it's like 30 or 40% fewer women, said that they would work more than 40 hours a week. And so if you ask women, I think this is the major difference here. If you ask women, how much would you like to work in a week, and how much time would you like to spend with your family, and how much time would you like to spend with your kids, women say, on average, I would like to spend more time with my family and uh, my kids and less time working than men say that they w would like to. And so that's that's kind of a, it's, it's not very well appreciated, but I do think it, it comes down a lot to uh, personal preferences. And men are also more willing to kind of work on call. Um, you know, th there was this study that was done which showed that Uber drivers, like men, were making 9% more as Uber drivers than women were because they were willing to work more when the surge came. They were willing to make more short trips. They were essentially showing that they were more willing to take risks and do jobs that were less appealing. Um, another really interesting thing about men and women in terms of the, the uh, pay domain is that lesbians make more than straight women do. There's something called the lesbian wage premium. Lesbian privilege. That's what, yeah, that's yeah, what it privilege. is. Yeah. And lesbians make 9% more than um, straight wow. women do. And, you know, if, if you were kind of going with the kind of typical story and you said, okay, well, you know, lesbians obviously don't present as gender typical. They often come across as more butch, obviously. I think everybody knows that. Not on the internet. Not on the internet. That's so the sound <laughs> of a meltdown happening. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, this is what this is idea like, oh, you know, women are assertive and they act. And I think that this is true to some extent, that women who act assertive, they're called bitches. Uh, you know, in, in whatever American black slang, you say a man who acts uh, dominant, he's bossed up. Whereas a woman who acts dominant is called a bitch, right? Mm. I do think that that happens. Mm. But you th would think that a woman who didn't act in a gender-typical manner, like some lesbians do, would make less money because they would be oppressed for not fitting in with the larger gender roles. But no, they make more money. And I think it's because lesbians have some of these characteristics, like status-seeking, risk-taking kind of behavior, that 
more feminine straight women are less likely to have. You've uh, recently released a video, uh, um, well, Jonathan Pye has, uh, where you're talking about the gender pay gap, and it called a uh, widespread uh, outrage, I think is the right word to use. Well, it, I mean, it on depends some... on who you look yeah. at. I mean, it, it, it followed off the back of the video we did about the Nazi pug, yep. which I think probably caused more outrage. It was unfortunate because we'd written the video a few weeks before that. It just so happened that the, the <laughs> pug thing happened. And then we, we had to release this at this time because it was ready to go. And it looked like we were being deliberately provocative doing two consecutive uh, pieces like that. Because um, that was the narrative, actually. It has been, isn't it? Like, you've gone all right. Like, Jonathan oh, Pye has gone all right. Sure. Yeah. Which but he's is, actually been criticizing the left for ages. I mean, yeah. hasn't he? You both, I mean, you have the two of you Yeah, together. absolutely. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the back catalogue, uh, Jonathan Pye is a lefty who bashes the Tories more than anyone else. The Tories and Trump more than anyone else. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to pick out these few videos where he's... I mean, he does uh, attack the left for where the left is going wrong because he cares about where the left is going wrong. So that makes sense uh, to me. Um, but the trouble is, I suppose, that the videos that cause uh, contention are the ones that people remember or know about, and maybe they don't watch all, all of the other ones, mm. so they don't get that, that, that perspective, perhaps. I don't know. So on the gender pay gap, you made a video where Jonathan Pye interviews what he thinks is a, is a feminist academic yep. who's, who's releasing a book. And he's asking her, expecting her to provide the usual narrative about the gender pay gap. Right, exactly. And what he encounters and very quickly gets frustrated by is that she's more of a second-way feminist than a third-way feminist. In that's other exactly words, right. she's not into the whole victimhood thing that's now so popular, which, what, which is what you've been talking about. Right, so it's a satire in the media as well. The, the media have an expectation of a certain narrative that they have to produce. Mm -hmm. And then when they're confronted with something they're not familiar with, they don't know what to do. So it's a satirical piece. Yeah. I and what was the response to that? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, some people weren't... weren't I love that. I'm loving happy. the body language. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I, some people weren't... Ha I sort of stayed out of this one quite a bit when, when, the, when people started attacking us on Twitter. Um, but, yes, there was a bit of a backlash uh, from certain feminist groups and um, from certain feminist figures and comedians more than anything. I, I mean, I didn't get involved, um, but I, I am aware of uh, lots of threads that appeared on Facebook in which I was described as an alt-right, anti-feminist, all the rest of it, because friends of mine keep sending me screenshots <laughs> and say, look look what these people are saying about you. And it's... And it's, it's good it, to have friends, eh? Mm, yeah, they seem to take a certain <laughs> delight in it as well. It's, it's, it is odd. It's odd that, for a start, a piece of fiction, a piece of satire uh, can generate that kind of response. Um, um, but it's also, I'm up for the debate you know, if, if anyone wants to email me and say why I'm wrong, great, and we'll talk about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, and also what was very interesting on all these threads I saw, all these arguments. Not once did anyone present a coherent counter argument to any argument that was made in the video. Not once. Uh, it was just ad hominem. It was just you're alt right, you're anti-feminist. Uh, well, I'm not, uh, and I always uh, called myself a feminist. Always have. Um, I worry now that to use the word means that because the word is so currently being used to describe a kind of victim-centred feminism, uh, whereas I believe feminism is about equality and empowerment. And unfortunately, that makes me an old-fashioned kind of feminist. But on the other hand, I shouldn't allow people to misappropriate the word. So in a sense, I should hold on to it. But um, So that's what we were... I mean, the character in that uh, video is, as you say, uh, a feminist who, who hates the fact, for instance, that the BBC have promoted an app for your phone that will help women to speak up in meetings. And we make the point that this is horribly patronising. I mean, some of my female friends found this the most disgusting uh, thing, but it's hailed as the BBC as this really progressive 
wonderful thing. I would say that victim-centered feminism, although the people who promote it are not, of course, misogynists, but the premise of it is misogynist. The premise of it is that women are weaker and need extra protection, um, and that's why I don't agree with it. Well, the media concept of the gender came, the way they present it, I don't think they would ever elaborate on it that way, but the way they present it is essentially for every pound that a, a, a man earns, a woman earns, whatever, 77, 83. Cents in the States, right, yeah, right, right. Pence, yeah. That's the idea. Uh, and what you're saying is th what, what, what they're doing is essentially they're adding up the, all the earnings of men on average, they're adding up the earnings of women, averaging that and comparing the two, and that doesn't reflect things like choices, uh, time off work, career choices, you know, things like that, right? That's definitely true, but even those statements, women are earning, you know, X amount of pence to the pound or the dollar, those are just false, you know, that is, oh, really? that, well, that's essentially implying a question of equal pay, right? Yeah. You know, for every pound a man earns, a woman will earn X. That's, no, that's not true. You then have to ask yourself, what is the circumstance? Because it could be that for every pound a woman earns, who is a CEO at a bank, a man earns X percentage less, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I think that statement in and of itself is extremely misleading, if not downright wrong. So let's look at the figures in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, the most popular statistic used, well, not necessarily most popular, but uh, the one you'll see perhaps in, you know, on the big on the big media screens is 18.4%. That is the gender pay gap in the UK. That statistic's calculated by the Office for National Statistics, which does a really good job of calculating the pay gap. But that combines full-time workers and part-time workers. We know that women are significantly more likely to work part-time and that those jobs tend to pay less. So I think in and of itself, that is a really unfair calculation. You're not comparing like for like. If you just separate part-time workers from full-time workers. That's all you've done. You still have not taken into account age, job, background, children, anything. You get 9.1% pay gap for full-time workers, negative 5.1% pay gap for part-time workers. So that's a pay gap in favor of women. So part-time workers who are female actually out-earn their male counterparts. On average, on average. yes, right. exactly. So just by doing that one thing, you've cut the pay gap in half for full-time, mm. and you've actually shown that women are doing better on average in part-time work. So that just goes to show how, how manipulated these statistics can be when you just are taking one thing into account. Uh, then when you start to go into age, start to go into background, uh, you know, the pay gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So in the UK, women between the ages of 22 to 39 are basically earning the same as men. The pay gap is negligible. In 2015, women aged 22 to 29 were earning slightly more, tiny percentage. Right now, men are earning 2%, 2.5% more. Um, that's a negligible statistic. So, you know, we can actually say that the gender pay gap has been eradicated for men and women between the ages of 20 and 40. That's a huge part of your working life. You know, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think the pay gap that still exists after that age has a lot to do with maternity leave and the fact that women take years off work on average compared to men. Um, it has to do with a lot of choices that women are making in terms of jobs and work culture and what they value. Uh, it has a lot to do with whether or not you're willing to work overtime, willing to work weekends, that feeds into job culture and all that. Um, none of those things, are, and job, the actual job that you choose to do, none of those things are calculated in the pay gap. So even the very basic statistics we have 
showing a pretty good picture for women. The pay gap's the lowest it's ever been on record since they started calculating it in the UK. Um, and you know, that hasn't taken into account very important things. So if that's the case, and you're saying that, that it's negligible, then why are we constantly getting bombarded with these facts and statistics about how women are being out-earned by men, we live in an unfair society, we live in a sexist society? Why, why are we getting that story? Well, I have two theories. One's generous and one isn't. Which one, which one do you want first? Let's go both. Well, yeah. Okay, I'll start. I think the generous one is that it's 2018. It's, it's an important year. It's 100 women. Uh, 100 women? It's 100 years. <laughs> it's 100 years since women got the vote in the UK. Uh, and something still doesn't feel quite right. You know, as a woman in 2018, you still recognize that a lot of the cards are stacked against you. You know, look at, uh, look at domestic violence stats, look at rape statistics. Compare men and women walking home alone on any given evening. You know, women have their car keys in their, in their fingers and, and men don't. So, something still doesn't feel right, doesn't seem fair. And I think that that very legitimate feeling that we can all pretty much agree on, uh, then people want to, to harness that and say, well, what are we gonna do about it? And unfortunately, people go to the gender pay gap because they think it's something that they can really easily solve through legislation. They think, well, I want to see results. I want to get a law passed. I want to get something done. Let's focus on the gender pay gap because we can make the state make big business publish their pay gap figures. You know, we can do something and say we got a win. We got a policy win. Um, but of course, that that has no meaningful impact on the things that I think women are still actually facing and the disadvantages that we have in society. So, I mean, that would be my generous reading of it: that people just want to do something about the unfairness that they still see in the world. So they latch onto the pay gap, even though that's not where we need to be latching onto. If anything, we can say this seems to be going extremely well. There are still some things we could do to help women in work for sure, but this is not the major area. We need to look at violence. We need to look at Jarlswood Detention Center, where immigrant women are kept and detained and treated horribly. You know, that's what we need to look at. My last generous reading. <laughs> is that, you know, it's a lucrative and popular business to be promoting victimhood culture. And the larger the statistic, the more media attention you'll get. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of these articles across the spectrum, it's no particular publication. You know, if uh, EasyJet was a really good example when businesses had to publish their pay gap figures for the first time back in April. Um, you know, every headline was EasyJet has 52% gender pay gap. Massive. Um, you had to get to Article Six, oh, sorry, Paragraph Six or Seven, um, if it was in the article at all, uh, where it said actually the reason that they have this pay gap is that they pay their pilots a hundred grand a year, they pay the stewards twenty-five grand a year, they six percent of their pilots are women, ninety-four percent are men. This is double the worldwide average of female pilots. They're actually doing really well. They can't hire more female pilots because they don't exist. They implemented a program years back with their own profits off their own back to bring in more women by 2020. This is a company that is doing everything it can to encourage women, support women, and to pay them fairly and equally. And this is the reason for their pay gap. But that was not at the top of the article. That was, if you're lucky, at the bottom. Um, so those big statistics sell. I think there's a real effort right now to press the reset button on the gender pay gap. It really wasn't that long ago, you know, 40 years ago, where you could see a genuine pay gap that was based on discrimination. 
that women got paid less than men. And that has closed so dramatically for a lot of reasons, including the fact that women are getting better educated. They're more educated than men on average, and they're going on to do those top jobs. Uh, you know, they're extremely motivated. There isn't that glass ceiling anymore. And, uh, you know, that pay gap has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, which is great news. It's a wonderful story to tell, especially young women. And a lot of these groups that do very well perpetuating that victimhood mentality need to press a reset button. They need to be able to say that something's still wrong here in order to have relevance. And they've been really successful. I mean, up until April, the pay gap, the biggest one you could come up with was 18.4%, but that's quite misleading. You know, we've got this great story about 9.1%, negative 5.1%. And then they get bi these big businesses without much context at all to publish their pay gap statistics. And now they can say 52% gender pay gap, 70% gender pay gap. It's as if, you know, the past 50 years didn't exist. And that's great for them. It's a really bad message for normal women who are just going to work in the morning, pouring a cup of coffee, now thinking to themselves, oh, I work for EasyJet, are they discriminating against me? No, they want to perpetuate you, they want to bring you up, they want to propel you to top spots, actually. But if you just read the headline, a lot of people do, you're going to have a pretty negative attitude. So that's my slightly more skeptical perspective. I think they're trying to push the reset button to make this issue still relevant. I think it's really terrible for young women, especially, to see this. So the gender pay gap, I think, is a really, really good example of how statistics can be used to prove anything that you want them to prove at all, because it all depends on what we measure. So if you want to make the gender pay gap seem massive, then what you do is you look at the earnings of all men and the earnings of all women, and you compare them with each other, and surprise, surprise, you find out that women earn less than men. But obviously what that's not taking into account is the hours that men and women work, the jobs that men and women do, and this fact that we've already mentioned, you know, in the past, men and women weren't as equal as they are today. So if you look at the top rungs of careers where people have been working for 30, 40 years, they've reached the absolute top of their profession, you are more likely to find men in those positions. So if you do that, you take all men's wages, all women's wages, you find a very, very big gender pay gap. But basically, the more we compare like for like, so the more you look at men and women doing the same jobs for the same number of hours, for the same level of experience, then the pay gap gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And eventually, comparing like for like, it disappears altogether. There's no gender pay gap. If you look at, at men and women who are both doing the same job, same length of time, same number of hours each week. And of course, that's the case. I mean, you just think about this for, for like a minute or two, because for one thing, it's illegal. So if you took two people who are doing the exact same job, exact same hours, exact same level, and the man was being paid more, the woman could take this company, the boss, to court. You know, it would be illegal. They would be breaking the law. But, but there's an even more common sense argument as well. If, if bosses could get away with paying women substantially less for doing the exact same work as, as men do, but, but just cheaper, you know, why would any boss anywhere ever employ a man? You know, why would you get a man to do the job? Well, it's interesting that you say that because... Uh 
we are recording this, and by the time this goes out, it will be a couple of weeks from today, probably. Uh, the the guest whose episode we've just released is uh, uh, a lady called Dr. Pip Malgram, who who's a good friend and, and a wonderful uh, person. She is a former advisor to uh, an American president, founder of her own company, etc. And when we talked to her, we asked her about the pay gap mm-hmm. as well, and she said that as a speaker after her political career and all the rest of it, she actually had her own agent, speaking agent, say to her, your metrics are great, you're getting better performances than your male counterparts, but we cannot get you the same fees because you're a woman. So uh, there is there is some... I mean, not everyone is rational. Not everyone... I mean, you say it's illegal, and it is, but people do illegal stuff all the time, right? So there's probably a small element um, of, of the discrimination that is part of what causes the gender pay gap. But I totally hear your argument about these averages being useless, essentially, in measuring mm-hmm. the real gender pay gap. But... Um, so my question, you think there's no discrimination against women at all in the workplace? Well, I see what. I mean, I, I don't know. The woman who mm. you've, you've um, just interviewed, and I'm really looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, I'll Yeah, I'll watch that interview with great interest. But, I, I mean, some personal advice from me to her, you know, and I'm sure she's, she probably won't watch and won't appreciate this, but if I was her, I'd sack that That's agent. That's exactly what she did. <laughs> well, Kim is great. She's not, anyone, she's not someone who would whine or complain. She took action. Yeah, sack that agent, get yourself but, another but agent. But my point is she's a very, very accomplished, very powerful mm-hmm. person who's who's made a great success of her life. Not every person is, I'm not as accomplished or successful and I'm, you know, so there, not everyone is capable of necessarily mm-hmm. of that. Not everyone is in a position where their value is so high that they can do that. Definitely. Well, I think there's a couple of things to say here. I mean, for one thing, I think that when we compare, I mean, so we, we hear on the news, you know, about BBC, women who work at the BBC being paid a lot less than men. So mm. there was even a story about uh, Martina Navratilova when she was doing the commentary at the, the um, Wimbledon at the tennis, being paid less than I can't, Bjorn Borg, no, McEnroe, mm. John McEnroe, um, doing, or likewise, doing coverage of Wimbledon. But then you stop and you look at this, you know, McEnroe was a much bigger personality. He was the one who was fronting the BBC's coverage. He was doing 10 times as much of the live broadcasts as Navratilova was. So, again, you just were not comparing like for like. And the way the story appears is like, oh, poor Martina Navratilova, isn't it terrible, all this discrimination? So we had another story about Claire Foy and Matt Smith in The Crown. You know, Claire Foy was being paid less than Matt Smith. Isn't this terrible? She was in the lead role, etc., etc. Apart from before The Crown, who had heard of Claire Foy? You know, not me, whereas Matt Smith had been Doctor Who. Mm. So when we talk about speakers, um, celebrities, sports stars, their salaries are not worked out in the same way. I mean, if you are working in McDonald's and you say, oh, you know, actually, I'd like to negotiate a bit of a pay rise here. <laughs> Good luck with that. They yeah. show you the door, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not to say that I don't think there's any truth in what you're saying. I do think that there's a, a perhaps a confidence issue for women mm. where they are less likely to push themselves forward, perhaps undervalue themselves. Um, you know, I've certainly been in cases, um, particularly when I speak at American universities, and they'll ask me, well, what's your going rate? And I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea how to answer this question. And mm. the fear is, if you, well, my fear is you pitch yourself too high, they're going to say no thank you mm. and laugh and you end up 
underselling myself as a result. But do you know what? I think feminism today doesn't help women with that confidence problem. I think the more we hear it's so shit mm. being a woman, it's mm. so awful, the more you do then begin to undervalue yourself. You, you think then when people undervalue you, you think, oh, yes, this is just what life's like for being a woman because it's really awful and terrible. So I think the best thing feminism could do for women would be to say, actually, there's loads of opportunities out there. Never been a better time to be a woman. Get out there, take advantage of all these opportunities. Don't sit at home underselling yourself. Uh, if you've enjoyed this week, as always, follow us uh, on Trig at TriggerPod on Twitter, Instagram. We're on Facebook as well. I'm Constantin Kitchen. You can find me on Twitter at Constantin Kitchen. Uh, I'm Francis Foster. You can find me on Twitter at Failing Human. Um, yeah, send me abuse as well. <laughs> Mostly people just do it about my face. If you've enjoyed it, uh, please give us a rating, five stars. Say something nice. Uh, tell a friend about it. We are on iTunes. We are on, what's the new one, the Pocket one? Pocket cast, I think. Is it pocket cast? I can yeah. never. We'll, I can we'll get on that. Oh, you can. Cast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you Our can... producer doesn't know either. We're, yeah, we're, yes. we're screwed. Yeah, right. he's just looking at us blankly. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're building up audi our audience, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks very much. And Thanks. you need to up your game for next week. Right. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Hello, saver. Whether you're saving for that trip to the tropics or saving for an emergency, now is the time to take advantage of Wells Fargo savings options. Wells Fargo offers savings accounts that can help you save towards your goals. So, what are you saving for? Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash save to open a savings account today. Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Wells Fargo presents one of the surest ways to grow your money. A Wells Fargo CD account where you can earn a 5.00% annual percentage yield on an 11-month term with a minimum opening deposit of $5,000. Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash CD rates to open a CD account and start growing your savings with us. Wells Fargo Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.